Hello and welcome to Around the Outside, the podcast for the Formula One fanatic with Chris Moss and Jake Peach. We really appreciate every one of you who listens and is getting involved with the podcast. Don't forget, if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe to the podcast so you'll never miss a new episode. And make sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram as well. Just search Around the Outside Podcast on Facebook and we're at ATO Podcast underscore on Twitter and Instagram. In this episode, we are going to continue with our Constructors preview. Having looked at the likes of Alfa Romeo, Alfa Tauri, Alpine, Aston Martin and Ferrari and their prospects, we look ahead to the remaining five Constructors. So Jake, which team do we have first? Well, seeing as we're going uh, reciting our alphabet like we're in nursery, uh, we're going to continue where we left off and pick up with Haas. So yes, welcome to the second part of the Constructors preview. Um, Haas then. The newest team to compete in the sport, uh, joining in 2016, getting assistance to enter the sport from Ferrari in terms of with their power unit and some uh, older stock parts to make up the car. And of course, uh, Gene Haas, who has much of a history in NASCAR, wanted to follow his dreams and get onto the grid uh, in Formula One. But they've had somewhat of a mixed bag of results, should we say, Chris? Yes, absolutely. Uh, They've still yet to achieve a podium, but they have had their best result, uh, P4 and P5 in Austria 2018, with Grosjean getting the P4 and Magnussen P5. Uh, This was also their best season in uh, Formula 1 to date, with a whole 93 points, which is nearly half of all their points scored in Formula 1. They've scored 200 points, Jake, and they've only got 93 in that one season. Mad. And of course, Drive to Survive did a lot for bringing this team into F1 folklore with uh, team principal Gunter Steiner, who is quite the personality uh he doesn't take any slack from anyone and uh you know where you stand with him but uh, one of the best personalities in the paddock in my opinion and um but as, as we know as nice as it is to have that personality off the track it's not been the greatest on track with performances been real highs and lows for the team uh in in its in its previous years since they joined in 2016 hasn't it chris yeah, absolutely. 2020 was by far their most difficult season. Only three points uh, scored throughout the season. And obviously with that uh, big uh, thing that happened in Bahrain with Roman Grosjean, um, it, it just it, it ended what was an absolutely terrible season for them. Um, you couldn't really get much worse. Uh, apart from the fact they did score points, Grosjean getting ninth place at the Eiffel Grand Prix and Magnussen in the early rounds getting 10th in Hungary. Yeah, and, and saying without the crash, I mean... When a crash like that does happen, kind of all aspects of reputation and performance or whatever just go out the window, don't they? And it literally, it was, it was so nice to see the sport coming together for you know what was a horrific accident, and and, and thank God that Grosjean is still with us for for all the slack that people have given him and the community, you know, over the years for his his performances on track and maybe what he might say over the team radio, all of that goes out the window because you just want people to, you know, be fine and and safe. And uh, it was nice to see the community coming together to support Haas at the end of last season, wasn't it? It was. And say, everybody that took part in in that Grand Prix, they all did a fantastic job. Um, It was fantastic to see Roman getting out of the car. Um, Obviously, he's done a few interviews, I think, with Sky Sports since then, talking about um, everything that went on uh, on his side of what he saw, what he remembers. Um, But yeah, just, just, you know, you can see Kevin Magnussen sitting on the side of the track, uh, Mm. just not knowing what's going on, you know, 
the whole team have no idea what's going on up until they see Roman jumping out of the car. It must mm. be the worst experience, you know, as a team principal for Gunter, for anybody that's part of that team to see somebody in that position. And I don't think it would have mattered who was driving that car. Everybody no. would have been the, in the exact same position, all wanting to make sure that they're okay. Uh, and that's that's the good thing about this sport. You know, they know what they're getting into. But when something like this happens, everybody's all on the same page. They all want everybody to be okay. They all want things to be, you know, as they are. They all want to race, which is the most important thing. Mm. And, you know, and, you know, th- this was unfortunately Roman's last race in Formula One. Um, he wanted to race in Abu Dhabi, but obviously his his burns on his hands were a bit too severe for mm. him to do that. So he never got the the farewell that he uh, he wanted, um, which is a little bit sad uh, for him. You know, he's been in the sport for you know ten years on and off. You know, he he had a few second places. He never quite got that F one victory, but uh, on the whole, he 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 had a very good career in Formula One. He lasted a lot longer than a lot of people. Yeah, and he did have some good performances. Uh, I, I think um, you know he didn't go out on on the high that he would have liked, but um, certainly uh, looking back um, now in IndyCar, has luckily got that opportunity. So no, of course, um, as fans uh, have given him a lot of stick throughout his career in Formula One. Of course, we wish him all the best here on the podcast. Um, but of course, now going into 2021, off the back of that dramatic moment at the end of the season, their minds will be firmly focused on getting back up the grid and really trying to be more competitive in the sort of midfield where they once were a couple of seasons ago. And with that, they have brought two new rookies on board, as we know, Nikita Mazepin. And we see the Schumacher name come back onto the grid um, after his father, Michael's, all those years ago. And um, of course, the name brings with it a lot of pressure, but something that's very exciting, actually, for Haas and Formula One itself. Yeah, I, I think the, getting the name Schumacher it, it's a big deal. It's going to make Haas stand out. You want to see how he's getting on. You want to see if he's you know able to emulate what his father did. It's a lot of pressure for Mick. Um, I think you know he, he's the current F two champion. He's got a lot of uh, you know races that have gone in his favor. He's he's had to do a lot strategy wise to get that from last season as well. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I think Haas, they, they've got two amazing new talents. Um, some with controversy, some mm. you know without. But they're, they're looking to rebuild. And I think after a difficult season last season, again, I, I don't think it's going to be anywhere near what they had a couple of seasons ago. Mm. I think they're going to struggle this season. But again, they're getting that rebuild process in time for 2022. There was talk uh, not too long ago that, of course... With all this money that Gene Haas himself is pumping into the team and the results aren't following, I think um, Gene, of course, wanted results coming to the season, coming to the sport in 2016. Do you think if this next year and the one after when we have the new regulation changes doesn't go quite to plan, that I mean, it's sad, it's sad for me to say this, but could we see that Gene's probably thinking, well, you know, um, this isn't working out for me. I'm I'm going to pull out the sport. I think it's a real possibility. Um, you know, the luckily financial challenges are are they're they're coming down. They're you know cost capping a lot of things. Mm. That's going to be one major thing to, to stay for Haas. But 
you know he, he's successful in nascar he he wants results a- any team owner wants results that's the whole reason why they get into the game um they they, they do need to start getting the re- these results hopefully you know they, they've recruited and uh got better uh drivers hopefully um that they can look for a long term and uh be hopefully to get the results that they want how realistically, Chris, do you think that they can they can do this season? I mean, of course, we didn't have a, a very good season for them last season, only uh, finishing in, in ninth above Williams, um, which we know have been troubled themselves uh, in the last few years, which we'll come on to in a moment. But how, yeah, how realistically a chance do they have to challenge the likes of Alpine and Aston Martin and McLaren and those kinds of teams and AlphaTauri? Haas have got a long way to go before they can even start thinking of challenging the likes of Alfa Romeo. I mean, Alfa Romeo finished five points ahead of them, mm. but that's still double what Haas scored the entirety of last season. You know, and then if they wanted to then jump to the next level of Alfa Tauri, that's 104 points. You know, bearing in mind they've only ever scored 93 as the highest season tally, they've got a very long way to go before they start catching back up to the midfield. Okay, well that brings us nicely on to our predictions if you weren't listening to the last episode me and chris are going to be predicting where we think the constructors are going to finish in this year's championship of course with the 23 race calendar were there some more points on offer um so there could be some more variables in that sense mathematically this season um and i've already made some bold predictions i've predicted that aston martin are going to finish second which chris thinks is absolutely outrageous um but for the sake of Haas, we're now predicting their position i think they're going to finish i think they're going to stay where they are they're going to finish in ninth i think if williams up their game which we'll come to in a second it could be a close battle but i think Haas this year anyway are going to stay ninth, and I think they might capitalise on the new regulations that come in uh, in for 2022. See, I'm uh, I'm in somewhat of agreement. Uh, I think it's going to be a battle between Haas and Williams for the last couple of places on the grid. Mm. I, you know, Williams have got new owners. Um, they've got the same driver lineup, but as a fan of uh, you know Williams and what they've done throughout the sport, I I, I, I want to hope that they get ninth. So I'm going to say Haas are going to finish tenth. Oh, and of course, that prediction, quite crushing for Mick Schumacher. I mean, of course, they'll be patient with him, as I think people were with uh, Daniel Ricciardo when he started in HRT. I think people were patient with him, and we've seen what he's gone on to and his potential. But that'll be maybe a little bit of quite a crushing blow for Mick Schumacher, if they're going to finish where they do. A little, but in his first season in F2, he didn't have the greatest of seasons. Um, <laughs> And then second season, he went to win the championship. Yeah. So he, he's, he's gone through, you know, having to progress slow and steady before he can challenge. I think he knows it's, he's in it for the long game rather than the short game. So he, he's just got to buy this time. I mean, we saw Leclerc, even though Sal, at the time Salva had a, a great season, he still had to, you know, buy this time, get a few lower points finishes before Ferrari then promoted him into the main team. Of course. And Mick Schumacher, I mean... You would think without a doubt, of course, he's in the Ferrari uh, young driver program, of course, with his father's heritage. I mean, where else would he be? Um, So um, a big, bright future, hopefully, for Mick Schumacher. And hopefully Nikita Mazepin can silence his critics as to what's gone on behind the scenes um, pre-season. 
and uh, let his stuff on the track do the talking. Although people also saying that he is one formidable force on the track. But we will cover more of that in our driver's predictions uh, episode uh, in a couple of weeks' time. Let's move on now to McLaren. So, of course, McLaren, one of the most successful teams in the sport, 12 drivers' championships and eight constructors' Um, since they began in Formula One and, and they've had the names and the likes of Nicky Lauda, Alain Prost, Senna in that dominant Honda Howard era and uh, of course the likes of Mika Hakkinen and David Coulthard as well. But in recent times we've seen them struggle and not live up to the likes of the days where Lewis Hamilton won his title in 2008 and had a competitive car in those years prior, sort of the 2010-2011 seasons, and arguably what forced Lewis Hamilton to make that risky move to Mercedes, that of course has has paid off. Um, and McLaren in recent years, jumping to the Honda Power, uh, back to what they, they loved and knew uh, in the Senna and Prost era, didn't work out very well for them, uh, it must be said, in the first few seasons, and Honda were really struggling. I mean, just how shocking was it, Chris, to see McLaren where they were and having such a fall from grace and such trouble with the Honda powered engines. Yeah. It just sort of happened very quickly for them. I mean, they, they haven't had the greatest results in the hybrid era. I mean, the, the first race of the, of the hybrid era, the 2014 Australian Grand Prix, they, they got a double podium, mm. which a lot of people probably forget. They got second with uh, Magnussen and third with Button. And yeah, from then on, they've, just gone nowhere they they, i think they finished fifth in that season mainly due to the points that they got in that first race but going to the honda power where they just joined in a few seasons into the hybrid era they had no power they had poor reliability they just struggled to Mm. even get points and uh, you know as a big name like mclaren it was devastating to see and of course with and of course with alonso at the team at that time, we can remember the many, many radio messages that we look back on now and laugh, but the team, it must have been such a distressing thing. You know, I've got a GP2 engine or uh, there's no power. And it's such a, a stressful time for, for the team and literally just seemed like there was no way back. No, and the, and the biggest morale killer for that GP2 engine one was the fact that it was at the Japanese Grand Race of Honda. Like, you, you're not going to insult a, a company like Honda even more than by doing it at the home Grand Prix. Mm. Uh, it, it was just, yeah, it was just a bad relationship pretty much from the start. And say McLaren soon, you know, got rid of Honda, who then went to Red Bull and have se- since had success with Honda. Mm. Whereas, whereas McLaren have gone to Renault and are still yet to get any wins. You know, their last win was in 2012 at the Brazilian Grand Prix. Yeah. And hoping now... Um moving over to Mercedes power, they will be looking to build on the momentum that they had in last season. We have, of course saw Lando Norris, um, who I think is a fan's driver, sort of really connecting with the community and this kind of space, you know, online streaming podcasts and the media. He's really kind of good at that kind of stuff and has, has really garnered a reputation in that sense and sort of a bromance that blossomed between him and, and Carlos Sainz last season. But yeah, getting that impressive uh, third in the Austrian Grand Prix, which was uh, which was great to see um, the McLaren team finally getting some taste of success and going away from the struggles that they'd had. But yeah, going towards that Mercedes power now for the team, it can only be a good thing, right, Chris? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, 
they they had last season with Renault Power. They they got a lot of good finishes. They got a second place, so close with the win with the second place in Italy mm. with Carlos Sainz, and the, it just shows that their chassis is probably one of, if not the best chassis on the grid. That could only mean with a, with a better engine that they can only go forward. And to be fair, I see them challenging Mercedes a lot next season. Wow, bold prediction, of course. Uh, now Ricardo is on board. Uh, as maybe smelt the blood in some senses. And of course, we, we might see something similar where, where fans are saying, which we said in the previous episode, Carlos Sainz moving from McLaren when they're picking up the pace to uh, go to Ferrari, which have had maybe a, a lesser season. He signed that contract very early before sort of things were going on. People may now be saying similar things about Ricardo uh, with uh, Renault, who are now obviously becoming Alpine, uh, who were gaining momentum. But hopefully, Chris, we can see that McLaren are actually on this upward curve. Ricardo has maybe made the right decision and uh, and can prove maybe himself wrong. I think Ricardo's done a great thing for his career. I mean, a lot of people were quite shocked when he announced he was leaving Red Bull, um, especially to go to Renault, who weren't having the greatest uh, times back back then. Um, but he managed to get the podiums. You know that that bet with Cyril Beatball, where he had to get a tattoo if he got a podium. He got that, <laughs> um, so he's more than happy. Um, but say McLaren are, are very much an upcoming team, and you know they're getting podiums. They're getting strong finishes quite regularly, and say with with the Mercedes power in the back of their car, I can only see them going forward. Okay, and that brings us nicely onto where we might think that they will finish. Chris, where do you think McLaren can realistically get on the grid this year? So realistically this year, I'm going to go for your shock bomb and go second place. Oh, okay. Um, and you think, why do you think second? That's a very, very, I know they switched to Mercedes now. Do you think that's a, quite a, a major factor? I think that's a major factor for sure. Um, they they managed to held off Aston Martin last season. Aston Martin did have the Mercedes engine last year. They had the Renault. That means that you'd like to think that with a Mercedes engine, they're going to be even further ahead of Aston Martin. Mm. But also, they've got a great driver in Daniel Ricciardo. Knows how to win races. And Lando Norris, he, he's been there or thereabouts quite a lot last year. He's also going to want to push for them wins. And them two together are going to push far ahead. It's going to be interesting, the battle with Red Bull. Um, obviously, they've got two great drivers, both race, race winners as well. You just feel, I just feel that maybe a, a lot more tracks that the Mercedes engine is going to help McLaren. And the McLaren chassis is, is one, is, like I said, one of the best on the grid. I, I just see them challenging quite a lot. So you think second. Now, here is where I might trip up over my own predictions. So I've I've <laughs> predicted Aston Martin to be to be second. Um, of course, Chris thinks quite bold, um, which now leaves me with a bit of a predicament, though, because if I think McLaren are going to do well, I have to place them in third. If I think that they might do not as good, the only other places I have below that are sixth, because I've predicted Alpine to be fourth <laughs> and Alpha Tauri to be fifth. Is that right, Chris? That is correct. Yes. Okay. So either it, this is a, a major toss-up between McLaren or Red Bull doing exceptionally well and of course both teams seem to be doing good 
Um, uh, maybe McLaren a bit more of a momentum than than Red Bull, but Red Bull, of course, always a formidable force um, with the great design that Adrian Newey puts together on those cars. So, I, of course, this is now going to have to be like a forced gamble, but I think I'm going to place McLaren, and I'm I'm going purely on the engine thing here compared to Rebels Honda. If Mercedes have managed to get more performance out of their engine. Uh, or, or sorry, you know, like the car and, and and the teams harnessed more of that. Compared to the Honda, the Mercedes is naturally ahead of the Honda engine. I'm gonna put McLaren <laughs> I'm gonna put McLaren in third. So episode two, I have the shock bombs of Alpha <laughs> Romeo are gonna win a race, Alonso's gonna win a race. In episode three, Jake does one of his own. <laughs> Alpha Tauri's going to have a better season than Red Bull. <laughs> We haven't even discussed Red Bull yet, but yes, possibly, yes, it does seem that way. I mean, as I say, I might have tripped over myself here, but I've got to go with it now. <laughs> Do you think I've made bad decisions? Yep. Can yeah. you uh, clip this and then play it at the end of the season for me? Thank you. Yeah, I will. Yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> oh, dear, dear. Okay, well, that's McLaren, and um, you're going to do well, according to me. Um Stick my fiver in the post. Yeah, both of us. Um, But yes, talking about that Mercedes engineer, we come on now to the works team who have absolutely dominated the last seven years. They're seven-time constructor winners in a row. And uh, they returned to sport after 55 years away in 2010 um, with obviously um, before that being Braun, in 2009 in 2010 changing to the mercedes works team um and then going on and having the champion uh seven-time world champion michael schumacher returning from retirement alongside nico rosberg for that for an all-german lineup um we had the team's maiden win in 2012 at the chinese grand prix for nico rosberg and this was sort of the beginning of the first signs of the power of the Mercedes brand and, and what that could bring in the efficiency that we've seen um, going throughout all of these last seasons. But you think going forward, you know, um, Mercedes in that time, you would never sort of put them in, in the likes of Ferrari or Red Bull, who were very dominant at the time. But we had that change in rules in 2014 and everything changed. And we've gone into this V6 hybrids, the power unit rather than called uh, an engine. We now had these power units which could which could save energy from the braking, um, the heat generated um, from the engine and recycling all this wasted energy into this hybrid power unit. And Mercedes nailed it. And uh, ever since this Mercedes power unit um, came into the sport, it has been um, its friend, basically, and has provided so much success for this team um and of course hamilton jumping ship at the end of 2012 to mercedes 2013 was going to start uh, an even greater course for them um into now where we are in 2021 with hamilton a seven-time world champion but of course rosberg gave him here a run for his money um with that one title along the way but ever since i mean mercedes have been the team to beat they just don't seem like anyone can crack them they are so dominant and it has got so much to do with that engine but of course their driver lineup and mercedes with hamilton and bottas um who can beat them chris is anyone gonna challenge them finally this season is anyone actually gonna give them a run for their money 
I mean, like I said in the previous episode, I think it, there, there's going to be three other teams other than Mercedes challenging them. I see Mercedes being the front runners, um, but I, like I just said, I think McLaren are going to challenge them hard. I see Red Bull doing well at certain tracks as well. So, and then you know Aston Martin with Sebastian Vettel, they they could throw up a surprise or two as well. I think this season could be one of the most competitive we've had, probably since 2012. Yes, and 2012, that, that of course was the season where we had seven different winners in seven different races in the first races, right? Um, and that was an incredible season. So yeah, you think we could see something like that again. That would be very, very exciting. Um, of course, so we have to consider a little bit the new cost caps and the slight um, trimming of rules that have been brought in to help um, because of the coronavirus pandemic across Formula 1 this season. And... Of course, Mercedes have had this advantage, not just the engine, but of course they have to have a very fairly decent chassis to be up where they are as well and good performance all round with the car that we've seen so often. Um, do you think that these slight curtailings uh, of, of the season with these little cost caps introduced, do you think that will hinder uh, Mercedes' dominance a little bit going into this season? Or do you think that you know the momentum's still with them? They've figured it out and we could see Hamilton... Um, walking away with that eighth world title, the record-breaking eighth world title. It's definitely affected them the most. Um, they were the team with the biggest amount of employees, um, which they've had to reduce. Uh, they, they, yeah, they, they were the biggest spenders because they had, you know, they won the constructors, which means they get more funding. They were able to spend that money, you know, and they, they did so in improving all the areas they needed to improve on. It's going to affect them more than it will affect the likes of, say, Haas or Williams, where they don't have the same infrastructure. Um, but Mercedes know how to do how to win championships. You, you, I wouldn't have thought that they'd be as confident as what they seem to be, and they wouldn't want to pay someone like Lewis Hamilton. I think I think his contract's like forty million for the something year, ridiculous. Yeah, if <laughs> they weren't confident of being able to have similar success as the previous seven seasons yeah without doubt um do you think you were mentioning aston martin and the likes of uh red bull as well um do you think that they could possibly not win as many races this season because of the competitors around them i i still think mercedes are going to win a good majority of the races um mainly just because you know lewis hamilton he just looks unstoppable. I think he's won mm. over half, if not more, of all the hybrid era races. Like he's he's winning over fifty percent a season. It's going to be hard for anyone to try and knock him, let alone Mercedes, off that pedestal. I do see a few more teams hopefully getting a few more wins. I mean, I think last year was the season where we saw the most constructor wins, probably again since twenty twelve. We saw. Alpha Tauri, we saw Racing Point, we saw Red Bull, we saw Mercedes, you know, and say a few other teams were quite close as well. It's, you know, it could be quite easily one of the best for, say, former midfield teams to get some good points and potentially wins. Do you think, uh, well, we've had the whole George Russell thing towards the end of the season last in 2020, which was very exciting again for us British fans and to see his. Let's be honest, he would have won the Sakir race where he was uh, stepping in for Hamilton, who had coronavirus. Do you think that the team still has confidence in Bottas, that he can still match Hamilton on his day? Or do you think 
that there, there could be something waiting in the wings there um, for changes afoot in, in, in the next year or so. Mercedes have never gone and sacked anybody off in the middle of a season. So I'd say he has this season. But we need Bottas 6.0 to be <laughs> so much better. He, he, you know, 2017, when he came out after, you know, joining the team for the first time, he didn't, I don't think, won a race. I think he maybe won one if he did. He struggled. 2018, he came fighting. He won in Australia. And, uh, oh no, I think it's 2019 he won Australia. But yeah, he, he came out fighting after losing the championship. But after midpoint of the season, he drops off. Hamilton has the tracks where he knows he's good at and then you know Serge is past and so apart from Russia which is later on in the season Bottas doesn't really have the tracks where he's it suits him and his driving style uh, I think he, he just needs to improve his how he drives the car to even you know match Hamilton one lap pace is alright and he's he's gotten a fair few pole positions mm. uh, over his time but he's not converting them to wins where Hamilton is. Mm. So basically we are concluding though that Mercedes are with this driver lineup again, not going to be shifted. And we see, we see Hamilton maybe clinching that eighth world title. I assume at least Mercedes constructors clinching that world title. Yeah, I see the same. I see it being a, an eighth for both. I think, I know we've had some bold predictions so far, Chris, but I think if I wasn't to say that Mercedes would finish first, I would be probably the... Might as well end the podcast. Yeah, might as well just end it right here, right now. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's just, it would be silly not to uh, predict Mercedes to um, finish in first. But you might think different uh, listening, um, you know. Um, I, I don't think you will, and I think you'd be crazy if you would. Um, but but if you do have a different opinion, please do send us a message and yeah. explain why you think that. It yeah. would be great to hear from you. Drop into the DMs. Um, we are um, around the outside podcast on Facebook or on Twitter and Instagram. We are at ATO podcast underscore. Right. Um, we have judged that Mercedes dominance will continue. And uh, now moving on to a team who have enjoyed a similar uh, dominance in previous years with Sebastian Vettel winning those four world championships uh, with the team um, between 2010 and 2013. Um, that's what we all know and love Red Bull for. But Red Bull, of course, came into the sport for the 2005 season, uh, overtaking a Jaguar and buying the team out. Uh, lived in the pack of midfield cars until about 2009, when, of course, we had all different changes um, to the cars. Um, and Adrian Newey really working his magic in the 2009 off-season into 2010 and creating that very dominant car for Sebastian Vettel alongside Mark Webber. Um, but... Once we got to the hybrid era in, in 2014, uh, a bit like McLaren, we, we saw some difficulties in that transition going from uh, one kind of engine setup and car setup to another. Uh, all these changes of regulations seemed to cause a bit of a headache for Red Bull. And it was a time that they went through a, a lot of difficulty and trouble, a lot of reliability issues at the time. Um, and maybe with, with Vettel again, there was this... Um, overestimation that he could carry this on um, but of course we had a brand new car and maybe people felt that he was struggling a little bit going again for this transition not just the team but Vettel himself uh, with all this new talk that the power units brought with it uh, and then of course didn't work out 
he went off to Ferrari and um I would say ever since then we had Daniel Ricardo, we've had Danny Kvyat, but the rebel team were a bit unsettled uh, in that period with their drivers too. Uh, and then um, sort of where we find ourselves now, Max Verstappen comes along to the sister Torosso team, makes his way up to Red Bull eventually. And uh, now with uh, Max Verstappen and Sergio Perez over, taking over from Albon, who had a, a okay season last season, but but not one that impressed Red Bull enough to stop Sergio Perez, um, leaving a lasting impression from his Sakia Grand Prix win uh, at the end of the 2020 season. So we now see Max and Sergio, Chris, together at Red Bull, which in a way is odd in itself because Red Bull have broken tradition. They normally take a lot of their drivers, as with Alex Albon, Max Verstappen, Danny Kvyat, um, and Pierre Gasly. All those kind of drivers have come through their, their young driver program. So how much of a statement and how odd has it been to see Sergio Perez come into this team now and kind of prove that they really want to turn the corner this season? I mean, this is the first driver appointment from Red Bull that hasn't been a Red Bull driver in their junior program since Mark Webber joined in 2008. That's how reliant they are on their young drivers. And we've seen it throughout, you know, many years, you know, drivers coming through we had Jaime Algarshari we had Sebastian Bourdais you know Sebastian Boemi all these drivers coming through the ranks not necessarily getting to the main team mm. but they still use their Red Bull Junior program I think it would have been a travesty for the sport to have lost Sergio mm. I'm glad that he has got a seat for this season but it does bring the point of it's, it's kind of making a mockery of their junior program <laughs> yes slightly I know obviously Pierre Gasly, he's been there before and it didn't work out for him. So I can understand him not wanting to take it, but he has since won a race, you know, and I know he had a contract for next season, but, you know, it's all within the same team. It wouldn't have done him any harm to transfer him back over. I think Alex Albon had a very average season. He did get a podium finally, you know, after many tangles with Lewis Hamilton, he finally got on that. <laughs> um, but, you know, Helmut Marco is all about results. And unfortunately, compared to Max, he just was not getting them. No. I, I just hope that Sergio, you know, being the fact he's been in, he's been around the block a few times. He's drove for McLaren, he's Force India, Racing Point, uh, Sauber. You know, he, he's been around the block a few times. Hopefully, he'll be able to, you know, keep on par with Max. Hopefully they'll be able to build a car around both of them where they're both comfortable. And you know, that if they do that, then Red Bull have a chance to compete with like some Mercedes and McLaren. Yes. Um I I'm, I slightly trip over my predictions here again because I've basically got to say Red Bull will finish sixth. Because they're not going to finish tenth. Um they're obviously way too good for that. However, if you do look at it in some respects in that way, this is, of course, a uh, alternative opinion. Um, but if you do look at it in some respects, if that Mercedes power unit really hooks up with these, uh, you know, its customer teams and really gets the, the cars together, Red Bull possibly, I know they've gone on with, with Honda, you know, we could see a similar situation to where they committed very, very heavily into Renault and then suddenly realised that the Renault engine really wasn't, well, bang for its buck. No, but say with this being Honda's last season in Formula One, Red Bull are taking over the engine manufacturing afterwards. Mm. They're going to invest quite heavily for 2022 in, in terms of power. 
they're, they're not going to want to sell themselves short being it's their own engine um so that that you know even though this is a honda engine it's very much going to be influenced by how red bull want it to go mm. okay well with my reasoning and if my predictions are correct um i do see if, if red bull comes sixth i'll buy you a nando's all right deal the red bull will come sixth um and of, of course this all rests on um ironically if alpine uh, who i predicted as, as coming uh, fourth um <laughs> if alpine do get that renault engine uh ticking along with its with its chassis um and and uh, fernando alonso really finding uh his stride in that team it could prove a very very tight challenge between all these teams again i think i'm not going to say red bull are going to be sixth by uh, a country mile they're going to be miles away i really think this is all going to be very very close however i do think these mercedes powered uh engined uh teams are really going to put uh, a fight up this season so i think whilst this prediction is incredibly bold i do think it has some merit some just some merit <laughs> I mean, I'm just gonna go and say they're gonna finish third. And sound a bit more realistic. <laughs> uh, yes, quite okay. Third, all right. Well, you know, look, if you're right, you're but you're bang on. If I'm right, then well, got it, Nando's. it's I've got an Andos. It's 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 incredible. Um, brilliant. <laughs> well, um, with that being said, Red Bull there. Um, our bold predictions there for the team. But hopefully Sergio Perez, I mean, you know, we both said he's a great, great driver on the grid and we hope that he can really make it tick at Red Bull and prove my prediction wrong. Um, so we've um, so far covered Haas in this uh, Constructors preview, uh, our, our second part here on Around the Outside. Uh, McLaren, um, Mercedes, AMG, Petronas, uh, and just now Red Bull. So that leaves us with one of the most historic teams in the sport, along with Ferrari, I would say, and that is Williams, the third longest running team in Formula One, owned by the legend Sir Frank Williams. Uh, and his team has proved many times that you don't need big funds to win and budgets. Um, this family-run team had huge success in the 80s, winning the likes of Jones in 1980 with him, Keke Rosberg, PK and similar successes in the 1990s with that all almighty powered FW14B with Nigel Mansell winning on his second season return from Ferrari, having finished second the year before. 93 saw a young Damon Hill as well and senior Alan Prost take the titles, uh, Prost's uh, fourth world championship before the fatal uh, accident, of course, which we uh, all know too well with Senna at Imola in 1994. Um, of course, a lot of history in their team for the um, the right and and some sometimes sad reasons, uh, but a, a massive legacy throughout Williams, isn't there? Um, of course, um, of course, ninety five saw Schumacher win the second title, uh, and Benetton with their first constructors uh, with a fantastic season in ninety six. But that's where uh, Hill came alive for Williams then. And uh, both Hill and Jacques Villeneuve, sons of Formula One drivers, took part for Williams and dominated. But uh, at Japan, this was the moment, of course, where Murray Walker said, I've got to stop. I've got a lump in my throat because he was realising that Damon was following in his father's footsteps uh, and going to go on to win uh, a title. Um, but Williams... Again, a team that have had a lot of mixed success as well. We've seen um, a very 
and one of the characters of the grid, Montoya, um, really sort of putting the team up there uh, in sort of the mid 2000s. Um, unfortunately, not winning a championship um, following on from the successes of the late 90s. But we have, of course, remember the victory in Spain in 2012 when Pastor Maldonado, the Venezuelan, uh, got his maiden uh, only victory in, in Formula One for the Williams team it was something of a very surprising moment, wouldn't you say, Chris? I mean, for, for the team that Williams have had many surprising moments in their career, but I would say that's pretty much up there given where the team's performance was at, in that season at that time. Yeah, I mean, we, we saw, you know, Williams were definitely a midfield team after, you know, Schumacher and uh, Montoya raced for them in the early 2000s. Uh, you, you see occasional podiums for them, which was great to see. But nothing really concrete to say that they were ever going to challenge for a win. And then up comes Pastor Maldonado, Spain, qualifies second, but gets pole position due to a fueling infringement for Lewis Hamilton. And then he absolutely dominated the race. He had Fernando Alonso behind him in a very fast Ferrari. At the home race. He didn't seem phased. He didn't seem phased. And he ended up winning that Grand Prix. Which, unfortunately, is sad to say, it was the last time Williams have ever won a Grand Prix. It's mm. been nine years and, you know, we still talk about this race now. That's how, you know, of a legacy it was for them. You know, the celebrations were very much cut short because they had a fire in the garage mm. afterwards. Um, but yeah, that was definitely one of the, the, the last times that they had a very high moment. Of course, at the moment, they've got the um, very promising talent in George Russell um, has been called a future world champion um uh, you know, he's highly highly rated um with the backing of as well of of Toto along with uh, Esteban Ocon as well um and of course on board with Nicholas Latifi who brings a lot of money to the team uh, which has been something of uh, a need a, a, a real need for the team in in the last few years Williams are obviously really struggling with money obviously picking up less money from from the sport because they're finishing very low in the constructors which which means less money to develop the car and get it more competitive and sort of been on this downward spiral sadly for the last few years but we're at a point now where they've got these talented drivers George Russell maybe a future world champion under new ownership now of um, Dalton Capital a new team principal Sir Frank and Claire have stepped out of the sport now um kind of recognize that the team needs some new new life to it um how quickly do you think um the 2022 regulations can come for williams chris and how you know how much can they do in this season to make any progress towards that or, or you know look like that they're looking more competitive i mean hopefully it, the 2022 regulations can't come soon enough for them um, I, I hope that by then that they will have a, a decent uh, car again that they're able to you know challenge uh, regularly for points. I think the only thing that they can really focus on is actually being able to score a point. They've had one point in the past two or three years, which you know it's it's so sad to see for a, such a fantastic team like Williams. You know Robert Kubica getting that point in Germany two years ago, uh, not two years ago, 2019. Yeah, it would be two years ago this year, and. Um, yeah, it's, it's it's sad to see, you know, they've been quite unfortunate at times where, you know, they've been in the points and, you know, they've had, you know, slight setbacks. 
you know, George was running, I think, in tenth at one stage in Imola before yeah. he, uh, he before he binned it. Safety car. <laughs> um, so they, they've they've been in positions to to have it. They just haven't been able to hit the nail on the head, unfortunately. Mm. And I would much say, of course, once a team gets into a certain rhythm or reputation, there is kind of like you know celebrations when they are tenth or or you know picking up a point or two points, but you know, I'm sure they'll be very much hoping to get in the midfield of the grid. I mean, when we're looking at the time that Massa and Bottas were at the team, I can remember that really successful race that they had in Austria um, not too long ago. They'll be wanting to maybe get a bit of a taste of that again and, and maybe similar um, experience to what they also had at, uh, at, at Silverstone that same year. Yeah, for sure. I mean, say we... we... We saw Silverstone, like they were leading after the first lap in 2015. We were fortunate enough to be at that race, mm. you know, and we were like, what? You know, <laughs> they qualified third and fourth and all of a sudden they're first and second with a safety car, mm. you know, and then say 2014, they got pole position at Austria. It's, you know, and then six years down the line, they're struggling to get out of Q1. It just shows how, you know, how quickly in sport things can go from the highest to the real lows. And unfortunately for the past two three seasons Williams are very much in the lows but you know we've seen them before they've had bad seasons and you know they, they've they've won championships they if they're a team that can bounce back they, they surely can be one of them so going forward uh for this season we we very much hope as as uh as British fans I would say um but but anyone in the sport would very much hope they'd like to see Williams back up there again um can they make any kind of headway uh, in terms of the constructors or you know is it a matter of, as we say of waiting till 2022 i think 2022 is going to be you know it could it could shake up the sport entirely i mean teams where they are now it could be complete reverse mercedes could be the slowest team on the grid <laughs> yeah How, you know, can you imagine that <laughs> um but yeah it, it completely could put could completely change how F1 is, which isn't a bad thing. You know, we want to see the sport as competitive as it can be. Mm. Um, But, you know, for me, at least, I want to see Williams at least score a couple of points. You know, I want them to get ninth. That's where I want them to come. You know, at least it'll be off the foot of the table. Okay, so you're thinking ninth. So you're thinking, yes, because you said Haas would finish in 10th yes yes so okay wow big prediction there so you're really you're you're thinking that williams are going to um, i mean i guess george russell would lead this but you know george russell will outperform mick schumacher and nikita mazpin i mean it's possible it's definitely possible (laughs) i mean george at least has two years in f1 he has had a taste of uh of a fast car yeah so you know He's he's going to want to push for that Mercedes seat in 2022. Yes, and I think even if he, I mean, even if he doesn't have a great season next year, I think he's in the shoe in for for getting it. Um, so, you know, if he has a great season, then it's just going to only give him better credentials to get in that seat. Yes. Well, the last position I have to predict is tenth. Um, I, I, as as much as I would like Williams to go forward this year, um, I don't think that this year is going to be. Uh, in terms of this constructors championship is going to be um, good but of course behind the scenes uh, lots of teams at the moment will be having one eye on 2022 they'll be starting to work on that car um, as we speak right now so um, I think of course that that must be their uh, 
their focus going forward for the for the next season. So just to recap, in this episode, we have uh, covered Haas. We have covered McLaren. We've covered Mercedes AMG Petronas, um, Red Bull, and to finish just now, Williams. Chris, just run through where we've predicted uh, the teams to come in this episode. So we've we've still got some shockers in there, um, <laughs> but we, we've also got some uh, a few more that are likely to happen. Uh, Haas, we've both predicted that they're going to be uh, towards the bottom. Uh, Jake's gone for ninth, which is where they finished last season. I've gone for tenth, with the hope of Williams uh, doing a little bit better. McLaren, we both think they're, they're going to get in the top three again this season. Uh, Jake thinks they're going to stay in third. I, I've, I want them to get up to second. I think they can really challenge Mercedes this year. Uh, but Mercedes, we both we both think that they're going to get constructed title number eight and extend that uh, record of uh, seven titles in a row. Red Bull, uh, Jake, with uh, throwing some stinkers in the last one, has <laughs> had to say that they're going to finish in sixth. <laughs> Crucially, Alpha Tari outscoring them. That is uh, a big bombshell right there, Jake. Uh, I feel that they're going to go for a bit more respectable third. Uh, and then finally, ending with Williams, where Jake thinks they're going to stay in 10th. And I, I hope that they get up to ninth at least. We can dream, we can dream. Um, but <laughs> You've got Nando's on the card. So. I know, if that actually pulls off. I mean, that's how confident you are about the whole Red Bull Alpha Tauri situation, aren't you? That's how confident I know that they're going to finish <laughs> Yeah, now that you put it like that. Um, anyway, yeah, we'll breeze over that. Uh, we'll see what happens. We can only see what happens. You never know. Pierre Gasly and Sonoda might go on a mad one. <laughs> and uh, Get a one-two in Bahrain. Exactly. Yeah, who knows? Who knows? Um, but no, that's been uh, that's the end of our Constructors preview here on Around the Outside. Uh, if you want to catch the uh, previous five teams uh, that we covered, uh, we've done these in alphabetical order. So we had the first the, the first five, Alfa Romeo, Alpine, Aston Martin, Alfa Tauri and Ferrari in the previous episode. If you want to hear our predictions for those teams and uh, our chats about them, uh, head back to episode two to hear that um but this has been the end of our constructors preview if you've enjoyed it please subscribe to the podcast at around the outside on uh, whatever podcast platform you're using yeah please give us a follow as well on socials we really appreciate it and um we want to hear your predictions uh, as well we're going to be posting on our socials uh, around the outside podcast on facebook and on twitter and instagram at ato podcast underscore uh, whether your predictions will be as bold as mine and maybe a couple of Chris's uh, will be, will be, we'll, we'll see, we'll see what happens. And uh, we'd love to hear from you on there as well. Um, but for now, until the next episode where we're going to be covering testing, uh, whether we're going to see any surprise results in there and maybe any sort of indication as to which team might be coming out on top, whether AlphaTauri do have the jump on Red Bull uh, going into 2021. Uh, whether Aston Martin are the second fastest team. All the, yes, or Aston Martin being the second fastest team, we will soon see. Um, but for now, that is this episode. We'll join you uh, next time here on Around the Outside. It's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from me. Mm-hmm.